0: I want to start today by talking to you about two words that have seemingly similar definitions, but have different connotations. Different things we think about them. Uh, and the first word is alone. And so. When we say like, I'm alone, we have these two different ideas of what alone is. Alone can be, you know, a bad thing. I, I think about the one time as a child I got lost in public. Uh, I was in a mall and my I, w- I decided I needed to go to the bathroom and, and my mom thought I could do it by myself and she told me where she was gonna sit and when I came out of the bathroom, I had no earthly idea where she said she was going to be. And I started to sweat and cry and my heart was racing. And, you know, I was like 17, but it was fine. Uh, not really. I was a young man or a young boy, but uh, I remember I had like tunnel vision because I was so concerned about being alone, about, about being left behind. And so alone has this kind of negative connotation sometimes of I'm cut off, right? I, I'm by myself. But it can also have this positive spin, this idea of, you know, uh, I'm alone, but that's good, like solitude. I think about uh, people who like going camping, which I'm I'm not big on, but more power to you. I think of all sorts of different places that you can be alone. For me, I'm an introvert. I love alone time. That's how I recharge. But my big alone time of the day is 5.30 a.m., cup of coffee, recliner, and blanket, dog on my left, and sports center highlights. And that's a moment of solitude. That's an alone that I can get behind, right? And we have these ideas of good alone and bad alone. We also have alone as an opinion, which we don't use a ton, but like like four times a year, the, the movie The Princess Bride is mentioned in staff meeting. Like, like, this happens all the time. And every time I have to give an opinion of the movie, which is that The Princess Bride is a terrible movie. Don't turn off the TV. I know I am alone in that opinion, but I wouldn't say that I am lonely in that opinion because lonely has this completely different connotation. right? Lonely, when we say lonely, we think of a more emotional idea. And lonely almost always means this negative thing. It means uh, I'm not only by myself, but I am emotionally by myself. I am I'm missing out on something. I'm missing a relationship. I'm missing a community. I'm lonely. And it always has this negative spin, this idea that uh, I am by myself. It's, It's a longing. And it's such a hard thing to pin down because you can be alone but not be lonely. But you can also be in the midst of community and be lonely. And so it's really this difficult thing to pin down because it is just a sense of longing. We also have uh, I think alone, when we think of alone, we think of it as a physical thing. We're, we're gone, and, and we think of lonely as this emotional state. But we can be spiritually both, which is I find fascinating. We can feel spiritually alone and spiritually lonely. And I, I'm going to reveal myself a little bit. Uh, I, I grew up in the 90s and 2000s, so I'm like, you know, I, I turned, actually I turned 29 Today, uh, I'm coming out of my youth, uh, but I can remember so many times hearing this idea of, well, if this candidate wins or if this candidate loses, then that's the end of the church. Or uh, Or attending a church or hearing about a church saying, you know, if it weren't for us, faithfulness would be gone in this community. We are the last bastions of morality here. Or even hearing, you know, the moral decay is so prevalent that soon the faithful in the audience will be a minority group within the church. And we have this idea of spiritual aloneness and spiritual loneliness where we are the last ones, we are alone and therefore lonely in our spirituality. We are on this moral island. If it weren't for us holding it up, holding up the church, holding up this faith, if it weren't for us, the word God would never be heard in Western civilization, let alone the word of God. And so I bring this up because I think there are great examples of alone and loneliness in this chapter. So we're in uh, week 15 of a 31-week series called The Story. And uh, last week, Andy preached over week 14, which was the dividing of a kingdom. He talked about how Israel was united under judges, under uh, Saul, under David, under Solomon. But then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, made some unwise decisions. And in that, we see the splitting of Israel into a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. And, And Andy also talked about how the kings of Judah have this tendency to kind of flip-flop. We have some good kings in Judah, and we have some bad kings in Judah. But Israel, the northern kingdom, never has a good king. Israel never has a king that wants to follow God. They always are leading their people astray into idol worship, into uh, the, the cult practices of following Baal and Asherah. And so that's where we kind of left off with the last this, this king in Israel named Ahab, who is, I don't think arguably, I think we could say is, the most evil king in Israel. And then he is married to the most evil queen of Israel, Jezebel. And, and that's where chapter 14 ends, and chapter 15 picks up, and it's all about God's messengers. It's all about four prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Hosea, and Amos, and, and it really focuses in on Elijah, as we are going to do this morning. So chapter 15 opens up with Elijah telling Ahab there is going to be this absolute drought until God says otherwise. So for a long time, there's going to be a drought. And then Elijah leaves Ahab and he goes off. And three years later, he comes back to Ahab and Ahab says, you troubler of Israel, what are you doing here? And I'm going to paraphrase what Elijah says, but Elijah says to him, "Uh, you are the troubler. So here's what we're gonna do, okay? We're going to go to Mount Carmel. You're gonna get all of Israel, and you're gonna get 450 prophets of Baal, who is your God. And then I am gonna go by myself, and we're gonna meet on top of this mountain, and you're 450 prophets, and I alone will sacrifice to our gods. Now, we'll pray, and whoever's God, yeah, whoever's God answers the prayer by sending fire from heaven to consume this offering. That, that will be the God Israel should serve. Now, the last time I actually preached on the stage was uh, two years ago, and I preached over this very story. So I'm going to breeze past it today because I want to get to, uh, to the more this idea of alone and loneliness. So God wins and Baal loses. Pretty typical. But Elijah then tells Israel to seize the 450 prophets of Baal and have them put to the sword and killed. And so we see the the destruction of Baal and their prophets. And so then Elijah turns to Ahab and he goes, look, it's been three years. You need to be prepared. It's about to rain. You need to get in your chariot and you need to get ready because it is going to rain and you're not going to be able to move. It's going to rain so much. So, So Ahab gets in his chariot and he rides off. and He gets back to Jezebel and he tells her everything that happened. And Jezebel sends a message to Elijah. And she says this, and again, I'm going to paraphrase. She says, let my gods deal with me severely if I don't make you like one of the prophets of Baal that you killed. Basically, I am going to kill you, and if I don't, then the gods can judge me for it. So very intense. And that's where we pick up. So First Kings 19, 4 through 18. If you don't have uh, the story a book, if you just have a Bible, go to First Kings 19, 4 through 18, that's where we'll be for the rest of the morning. That's where we'll be this whole time. So uh, Elijah gets this message from Jezebel, and he runs away. He, he goes a day's journey into the wilderness, and he finds himself beneath this, uh, this thing called a broom tree, a broom bush, which I think sounds like a, ki- a kid's book, Elijah in the Broom Bush, right? Uh, but nothing childish or kitschy happens here, because Elijah finds himself underneath this tree, and he says, God this is it. Take my life from me. I am worse off than my father's. Take my life from me. But God responds to him by giving him food and drink. And he says, get up and go. You need to keep going. And so Elijah gets up, he goes, and he moves 40 days into the wilderness. I think there's a sermon in there of itself of Elijah says, I'm done, and God says, keep going. But we, like Elijah, will keep going. And he finds himself all the way in Mount Horeb, which, again, is a long ways off. But in verse 8 of chapter 19 in 1 Kings, it says that this is the mountain of God. So this is a significant place that Elijah has found himself in. He goes into a cave, and he spends the night. And while he's in this cave... God comes to him and he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And it's such a powerful question to me. I mean, can you imagine the God of the universe? You're, you're lost, you're afraid, you don't know what to do or what to make of the situation and your God comes to you and goes, man, why are you here? What are you doing here? And Elijah answers him. Elijah answers him in verse 10. He says this, uh, Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So Elijah says, I am alone. God, I'm so alone that I don't even want to be here anymore. I am so alone that I'm in this cave, completely isolated. My my home, my people, my government want to see me killed for following you. This is how I have been repaid for following you. I am alone, physically cut off from my people. And I love God's response, because God's response comes in verses 11 and 12, and he says this, or he does this, I should say. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, came a gentle whisper. And verse thirteen says, "When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and what went out and stood at the mouth of the cave." And so. Elijah is saying, I am alone here. I am physically cut off. And God's response is to say, Yeah, good. Listen to the roar, like listen to the sound of the wind. Listen to this earth-shattering quake. Listen to this roaring fire. I'm not in that. I'm not in the tumult of a large crowd. I can be, but I'm not for you right now. I'm in a still small voice. So God, when Elijah says, I'm alone. God says, yeah, revel in that, revel in solitude, enjoy solitude, because there can be joy in that. Because when we come into a relationship with God, it's exactly that, it's a relationship, Right? And so if I want to get intimate with another human being, if I want to get personal, if I want to get close, if I want to get deeper and have a relationship with another person, I'm not going to take them to a crowded restaurant with 10 other people. I'm not going to take them to a football game or a monster truck rally. I'm going to take them to a quiet place where I can enjoy their presence, where I can talk to them, be personal, get one-on-one. And so God is saying here, yeah, I'm not in the noise, man. Elijah, why are you here? And he says, listen to this. Listen to this still, small voice. He wants this intimate relationship. And so he says, revel in solitude. Enjoy this alone. Revel in it. Revel in solitude. And this is such an important point, this idea of solitude and and being in a quiet, alone place with God, that Jesus himself, God in the flesh, does this. In uh, Luke 5.16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. And so this is so important. When we say, I am alone, God says, yeah, let's enjoy it together. Enjoy my presence. Revel in solitude. And then something I I really enjoy happens. God asks Elijah again, as if to say your first answer was not good enough. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? So word for word, he restates the question. And why I like this is because Elijah's like, I'm going to—you re- restate your question, I'm going to restate my answer. He says the same thing back. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord, and Israel has rejected me. I am the only one left who knows you. And now they want to kill me too. And so that's where we see God's response to the second, uh, second answer. He says this in verses 15 through 18. Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. And so God restates his question. Elijah restates his answer. And it's as if Elijah is saying, I'm alone here, and God realizes what he's saying is, God, I am lonely here. God, I don't, I don't have anybody. I, I am cut off emotionally from my people. I have, I have not only been separated from them, but I have nothing. I am lonely. I am the only one left. I'm alone. And God says to him, all right, go back. Go back to where you came from because I have seven Thousand allies for you. I have 7,000 people that have not worshiped other gods. I have 7,000 people that are like you, that will hear from you, that will follow the words that you give them that are from me. Come and follow. Go back to where you came from. And, and I love this because it is so like us. This is a dot to connect. When we say, I am lonely, God, I am so lonely. We tend to do this thing where we'll go, God, I'm so lonely, but I don't want to be a burden to anybody. God, I'm so lonely, but I don't want anybody to see me like this. God, I'm so lonely, but ironically, I want to be alone right now. I I don't really want to be around anybody. And so we kind of cut ourselves off further from community, and we continue to be lonely, and we revel somehow in our loneliness. We, We want to have a wallow in this. But God's response to Elijah and to us is, go back the way you came. And we can use that as go to community, right? Go to community. And I said at the beginning, you know, you can be in community and be lonely, but man, it's a lot harder, especially with a gospel community like this. He's saying, go back to your people. And these are your people. This is your home. God's saying, I have built for you homes called churches. And there are 7,000 people there. There are loads and loads of people there that want to connect with you, that want to be in community with you, that I have reserved for you. Are you lonely because of loss? We have those. Are you lonely because of depression? We have those. Are you lonely for, because of addiction? Are you lonely because you're a single parent? Are you lonely because you don't have the time or the place or the work? Are you lonely because you're broken or you're hurt? Are you lonely? Man, we have those. So come to community. Go to community. And I know this last year has been hard because it's been isolating. And some of you are still isolating because some of you are still worried about the virus or, or you're being prudent with it. And that's understandable. But some of you still are worried about being vulnerable. Some of you are worried that you might get judged. Some of you are worried just to dive into the church and, and into community. But God is saying, man, if you are lonely, there's no better place to be than a gospel community here. So come back to community. Now, the one I've neglected so far is this spiritual idea of aloneness or loneliness. And we have this idea that Elijah is somehow representative of the church in this, right? The church, like I said at the beginning, the church feels alone. The church feels isolated and lonely. Uh, and, And to that, I say this final point, this last thing, God never fails, God never fails. And if that's not true, if we don't believe that wholeheartedly, if we don't take God never fails as 100% truth, then none of this matters. And that is a harsh reality that we have to deal with. That if we don't accept the idea that God never fails, then everything we're doing at GDOS today, everything we do beyond this point, everything I do with my life, and all the words that I'm saying, everything you are taking in, if it is not centered on the idea that our God has won, our God is victorious, our God never fails. And it is absolutely meaningless. It is a chasing after the wind because our God never fails is a pinnacle place that we hang our faith. It is so important that we remember this. No matter what, our God never fails. And I don't know, this idea of this spiritual aloneness or spiritual loneliness that, that we are the last things between uh, a world that doesn't know God. It's either a complete lack of trust in God or a complete vanity in ourselves as bigger than we are. But all prophets thought this. All messengers of God thought this. Elijah thought this. I am the last one. Elisha, Hosea, Amos, they all thought, I'm it. I'm alone here. I am lonely here. Spiritually, this is it. But we can take confidence in who God is. We can take confidence in who Jesus is. Jesus said uh, in Luke 1940, the Pharisees were rebuking him, telling him, hey, tell your disciples to stop worshiping you. And he said to them, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Our God never fails. Even if the church does, even if we do, our God doesn't. Because even if we stop, even if we're forced to stop, the rocks would cry out his victory. We have a God that never fails. And so I say to this, what's next? So what? What do we do with this information? What if we revel in solitude, we, we go to community for loneliness, and we accept the idea that our God will not fail us and has not failed us? I say, go and be messengers. That's what I want you to take from this. I, I think... This chapter is called God's Messengers, and we have this misunderstanding of what a prophet is. We often think prophet, we think prophecy, we think future fulfillment, we think they're fortune tellers. But in reality, in the Old Testament, what prophet meant was more of preacher, was more messenger, was somebody that was relaying the word of God to people. And sure, they had future predictions, but it was mostly telling people the words that God had said. And so We as a church don't need to be Elijah alone in the wilderness. We as church people can be Elijah sent back to where they came from with this message of the cross. We have a message that needs to be spread. We need to go and be messengers. There is a world out there that thinks, I am alone And we need to tell them, you're not alone. We have something bigger and better. We have a God that saves us, a God that cares about us. And when they say, well, I'm lonely too, we can say, man, we have a God that died on a cross for you. We have a God that so loves you. He sent his son. He emptied himself out, became a person, emptied himself out a second time to die a gruesome death on a cross, just to buy us back, to get us back into the fold, into the family and so we need to go and be messengers of this. To tell the world that is lonely, that is that is are alone and lonely and, and thinks they're on a losing side, that humanity is lost, that we can tell them there is a God that so loved humanity that he gave his son for us. And we can start today by at GDOS, at, at Great Day of Service, going and being in the hands and feet of Jesus and loving people that way. And we can go every day with a great great day of service in our own lives. And we can preach a message every single day that look at what God has done. You are not alone. You're not lonely. You're victorious in the God that you serve. And so as we go, I want you to revel in alone time. I want you to seek community and loneliness. I want you to really rest in the idea that our God never fails and then to be a part of that, I want you to be baptized into this church. I want you to get in a tank of water and be dipped and come out the other side realizing that you get to be a part of this. And then if you already are, I want you to go and be that and spread that message to those who need to hear it. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much. Um, you have countless examples, countless places that you show us that we are needed that we aren't alone, that we don't need to be lonely because you have saved the day. You are victorious on a cross. And so God, I pray that as we go do a great day of service, I pray that if somebody's watching this past great day of service, that they can leave this sermon and this worship service going and being messengers of the cross of Christ that has saved us all. So God, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray, amen.